Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast in Fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And today we're talking about how the dry principle is misunderstood. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm getting it wrong. But luckily, we have a special guest here who's anything but dry to help us through it. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we have Stephen Solomon. How's it going, Stephen? It's really good. Thank you for having me on. Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, I've been a programmer uh, since 2007. I've been very lucky. I got to work on a large uh, variation of different types of projects. Mm-hmm. I've worked in compiled languages. And really recently, I've, I've gotten a lot into uh, Ruby and Rails and I'm beginning to play with Elixir. So I've seen this kind of wide swath of different programming languages, mm-hmm. as well as different industries. And it doesn't matter which language you're using, everybody's trying to dry things out. Oh, yeah. It's got to yeah. be dry. <laughs> For our listeners who may not know, what is dry? D-R-Y. Uh, the dry principle is uh, something that was first written about by Dave Thomas and Andy Hunt mm-hmm. in their book, uh, Pragmatic Programmer. Yep. Uh, Yeah, Uh, there's actually a new version coming out. So people should check that out. Nice. So in that in that book, they define the dry principle as every idea should have a single unambiguous authoritative representation in a system. Hmm. It's a bit wordy. (laughs) But basically, you know, if you look at code and you see, you know, two functions that have the same line of code, then you should just extract that into a method, right? That's often what we talk about in our industry. But their definition really seems to imply that it's about not duplicating ideas. Right. Right. That's, That's very a, interesting. A bigger concept, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's like you often see dry and people spell it out where it's like, don't repeat yourself. And people yeah. believe that don't repeat the functions or the methods that you're doing. But as you mentioned, it's not just methods, but the idea that is that is encapsulated by the methods. Don't repeat those things. Yeah, I feel yeah. like when you when you hear about the dry principle, you're like, oh, I get it. And this is so powerful. Like, I, I only have to write it once. And then you just refactor everything, yeah. you know, into a, a function somewhere. Yeah. And then you're trying to trace through your code. And you're like, oh, God, what oh, yeah. have I done? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Ruby might be a little bit difficult. I know I use uh, IntelliJ for Java and you could just like command click your way back to the beginning of time <laughs> to find in the beginning of that function that gets repeated often. Right. Especially if you find those refactoring tools. Oh, like, yeah. I, I've been yeah. using IntelliJ, <laughs> PyCharm, and man, just extracting all those methods feels yeah. pretty good. I, I cannot program without a JetBrains product. Um, also, I don't work for JetBrains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not paying us either. Conrad, really, a friend of the show, Conrad uh, Benham, yeah. really sold me on it for a long time. And now I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, like the idea, we often hear about the dry principle and we... As experienced engineers, we often talk to and talk to junior engineers about how you shouldn't repeat yourself. So that's something that like gets passed on as knowledge, but people often just see it as just like methods. So is there like a mindset that you care to elaborate to separate it from just methods and onto ideas? Yeah. So to kind of paint the problem a little bit more. A lot of what I've seen on projects I've been working on mm-hmm. have been this scenario where people extract things way too early mm-hmm. and eventually requirements require those two things to be different. And all of a sudden there's this nested conditionals or case statements or even or even uh, multiple different random 
objects or functions that are all injected in the same moment. So it becomes this really tangled mess Mm -hmm. that becomes like untraceable. Right. And you like, as you're probably not the person who extracted that method to begin with, you're like, okay, well, that person was smarter than me and they had a reason for doing it. So I must just need to take this other level of abstraction, just jam it in here. (laughs) Yeah. Just put, put another if statement, you know, which I think we, we talked about a little bit. Uh, with Jacob O'Donnell. Yeah, uh, that was the episode uh, Death by a Thousand Ifs. So if you have the idea, you have this idea, this class, I think you mentioned before in time, like the God class that just constantly is in control of everything and you don't know the context in which the individual who created this class with all these variations and whatnot. So you are leaving it up to the developer to have also had some context in those changes but then ultimately it may have been too dry i guess like it was dried way too early than it should have been yeah there oftentimes like and i've made this mistake is just responding to seeing duplicate code right and thinking that's as far as the the principle goes and then getting into trouble mm-hmm. and then now you have to find a way to extract out these separate things because you know, you're in an application where you're pricing grocery items and meats have a different set of business logic than produce does. Right. Mm-hmm. And as long as those things are both dependent on a th- shared thing, you're never going to be able to do it easily. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you could hack it in there, mm-hmm. but uh, you're going to be worse off. Right. Yeah. When those FDA requirements come in, <laughs> you're really going to be in a tough place. Yeah. But then before jumping in and like, thinking about drying up everything when when do you look at a piece of code and decide whether it needs to be dried up so the number one thing that i try to do is i try to advocate on my team to go to a product person or a subject matter expert right and they're usually someone who's been in the industry for a number of years whatever mm-hmm. they are if if you're in groceries there's like the grocery expert and he's been right. there for like 20 plus years or if you're in finance there's someone who's been there for 12 or 15 and right. they're the person who has a gut instinct and experience mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to be able to tell when things should change at the same time and what things are truly related mm-hmm. and i think that's the best advice i think you can do is just find who that person is and draw out the the business objects, mm-hmm. not the like layers of your architecture and presentation <laughs> right. and not design patterns. Right. My dad asked yeah. this object or whatever. Yeah. Leave those <laughs> things on the uh, out of it. But like conceptually, like what are the, the moving parts that facilitates that functionality? Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. And they'll react and they'll be like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. And um, I was actually talking to a, a stakeholder a few years ago, and she had this wonderful, wonderful reaction. And it was, do you even know how this is supposed to work? <laughs> <laughs> like programming or? Well, like uh, the system. The so like describing her, her business domain and, you know, sketching it on a whiteboard, just in complete shock at like what was what the mechanism inside the code was right. to facilitate that. Oh, like yeah. the concepts were not recognizable to this person who was an expert. Right. I mean, sure. yeah. That, yeah. there's a lot, there's conversations like, or rather there's books like Domain Driven Design that talks about how your code should reflect the real life situation or, or that 
in which the expert would be able to understand even like the diagrams and, and whatnot. And I think your comment about going up to the PM to ask questions is a great point because we often see like a feature story and then we're really quick to just run and program because like those what we love to do. But <laughs> yeah. then we get caught up in like design patterns and stuff like that and try to make it look like elegant code when in reality it should reflect real life. Yeah. And I think the expert is the person that would bring you down to let you know what real life looks like and how we should implement that in the code. Right. Or there, there should be like some kind of an overlap really between like nice and good code and elegant code and and this domain uh, focused concept. Yeah. There are definitely moments when the domain could, could be tightened up because, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes when they're automating something, it's never been run before. So oftentimes it hasn't run before, so it hasn't had to be that accurate. It's kind mm-hmm. of like it could be conversationally accurate, but right. but not not accurate enough to to run with you know Boolean logic and, <laughs> and work. Yeah, uh, it can be fuzzier. Um, so that's so that's really detail the sp- in the specification. You gotta get to get there exactly, and that, that's really the starting point. That's the number one thing I think a team should be doing. But then there's there's a few other techniques if you can't find that person or that person doesn't exist. Like if you're in a startup, right. I mean, mm. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you mentioned a a food expert, and I, I like to think that I am a food. I've been eating for the past thirty one years and know my way around a lots supermarket. Of good breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of, but suppose if you can't find, you don't have a PM, as you mentioned, you could be working at a startup, or this is, you know, you yourself are building a product at home with the, you know, a pet project that has got a lot bigger than uh, a pet. What do you do when you are when you don't have the resources to ask an expert about something? So what I do in that context is I ask myself two questions and I didn't come up with these questions. Kent Beck did. Okay. Seems to come up with a lot of wisdom in our industry. <laughs> yes. Some good tweets there. Oh yeah. So he wrote this blog post called Bits versus Clumps versus Just Right. Okay. And he lays out these two questions. The first one is can you reason about two ideas separately? Okay. Okay. So going back to that grocery store example, you know, looking at my backlog and looking at my context, I can say, well, here's these changes coming up for produce Mm -hmm. and those produce changes are not supposed to affect meat. There's like no stories in my backlog to affect meat. So it's like, I can, I can reason about these two things separately. It's it's clear that these things are about to have to change for totally different reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he he tells you to ask a second question, and that puts it in a two-by-two format, like a grid, a row and a column. Okay. Everything is in a two-by-two column. What is it like the squares (laughs) in four places? So, what's the other question? Uh, The other question is, are those things actually separate in the code? And then from there, you can really decide what you need to do. I see. So, kind of thinking about like where the business value is clumped versus where the actual implementation is kind of organized. Yeah. So like an implementation that's tied together, but is going to change for separate reasons is going to be very painful to change. Right. And oftentimes, if you have any kind of successful system, it's going to be big, hairy, and complex. So there's going to be a lot of threads to try and pull those ideas apart. Yeah. So what what's an example of uh, of something like that? Like where do we live in all these quadrants where like... Take me on a tour of the the good and the bad and the ugly. 
Um, so there's the scenario, like you want me to go through like the two by two and like, which, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to visualize it. Like what's, what's some examples that we could like, uh, concrete this with a little bit. So I guess like if you have your business value and your, and your code concentrated, yeah. like if you're saying yes to both of those questions, then that sounds like you're in a good spot. Yeah, you you don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so you have you have your you know vegetable object and your meat object, and they're just separate, and they all do the things they need to do, and you're you're in a happy place. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's a pretty good scenario. Another scenario is your vegetables and meat object are are kind of tied together, but the business value is separate, mm-hmm. and that's a scenario where you need to separate things. You need to make sure those those model reality. So, like in that case. If there was a new requirement for meat, like, you know, the FDA changed their regulation and you can only have meat on the shelves for two days or something, then you'd have to change vegetable code too. And that would feel a little bit bad. Yeah. Or worse, if there's any kind of um, government restrictions around vegetables, now you have to balance, like, how do I fend off the meat government restrictions so that... It's okay. All those tariffs on the Mexican tomatoes. And the, gua- and the avocados. Oh, oh no. no. Not the avocados. Country's going to shut down. Oh, no. <laughs> so keeping in mind of all these different complexities between these two objects, we would sit down and then kind of wonder how do we want to build these two these two objects and rather than just like drying up all the time like oh yeah they they'll have government restrictions so we'll just dry that up but then the government restrictions would be different depending on whether you're vegetable or meat for example yeah letting the domain be the thing that drives whether or not something is actual duplication and not the code happening to look similar right Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I guess you could also like fall into another quadrant where like, you know, everything's all clumped together, but that's fine because like those things need to change together. Like vegetables and meat for some reason are exactly the same. Right. And we don't worry about it or like the way that our business cares about vegetable and meat like doesn't have any relevance. Yeah. There's one other scenario we didn't really talk about in that space that Kent lines up and says is like the worst scenario you can find yourself in is oh, that the worst well, one we, yeah. need to talk oh, wow. about, we need to talk about that one go well, ahead yeah uh so the worst one in his mind was you have an idea and it's spread about the system right. so like if my logic for calculating meets there's no way to change that in one place and i have to like change it all over the place and it's this tangled web and it's just kind of there Oh, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. Just sprinkled all over the place. Yeah. I got to pull out the shotgun and then go around the whole code base to make this change. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just change there. Boom. Regulations here. Right. Bash added, added, you know, 20 lines of code, changed 15 files. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it it's really easy to do, especially with find and replace. Oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> if you know what you're searching for and you're good enough. Yeah. At generating some regex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've seen some crazy stuff <laughs> get yeah. replaced. I feel like my weakness in regex is actually like, you know, a, a benefit sometimes because <laughs> I'm like, nope, too lazy, not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Change all the thing. Nah, I'm good. Don't yeah. Or, I mean, IntelliJ, I mean, we're not paid by idea, but IntelliJ does a really good job at finding the replace and yeah. depending on the language you're using. So, 
that if they that wanted, helps. if they wanted to pay us, we could do a fake advertising. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they they just they just made it even worse because now they have this thing called structural replace. No. So you can like st- define like the attributes of like a set of Java structures and be like, I want you to take that structure and map it into this structure. And it's no. like, yeah, so that exists. Oh man, <laughs> that goes shotgun surgery tomorrow at the client. It's going down. <laughs> so much power. Too much power. So the idea of dry isn't just, as we discussed, just functions that we're, we're trying not to duplicate. Right. We have to ensure that when we are given new feature, that there is some thought behind designing it and not going stir crazy on making it as dry as possible. Do we have any like personal experiences about like how you've tried to apply dry? I mean, I often find myself like drying up uh, methods and and functions, but I try not to do it. There are often times where repeating yourself just kind of makes sense because it's just easier to read the code. Right. I think this is something uh, me and Dave spoke about uh, earlier in life when we were talking about refactoring. Mm-hmm. And I think like the idea that that you could go into this refactoring craze and dry everything up can often lead to more confusion. And being able to read read a piece of code that is duplicated twice, I think. Like if the, if the limit is over two, then you're like, okay, this could read better if I just gave it a better name and then I took all the functionality and put it in the method. But um, yeah, that's my limit. If it's more than two, then I do a, a full-blown dryness in that regard. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I remember like kind of getting addicted to dryness for... <laughs> whatever reason like using rspec especially mm. with like uh you know let blocks and all that that was like kind of a new thing to me and i'm like oh everything can be dry everything can be like this whole like crazy chain of things that get like spun up by your test fixtures yeah and then shared it's like oh wait <laughs> the shared examples are you know that you can abstract your tests yeah right yeah yeah exactly like and you know everything's just acting on subject and is one line long and it's like oh my god i'm like so good at this and then someone else looks at it and it's like oh wait i don't understand Mm -hmm. so it's like oh maybe it shouldn't be this dry (laughs) so the whole thing here is is the dry principle was developed to like combat this smell of shotgun surgery Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I don't recall if Dave Thomas and Andy Hunt laid it out as that, but that's really what they're trying to fight. But right. there's, there's something else, and it's the other end of the spectrum. It's divergent change. Mm-hmm. And I often don't hear people talking about that right. as it applies to their code bases. Mm-hmm. What does that concept mean? Divergent change is another code smell that's laid out in Martin Fowler's book, Refactoring. Uh, this one is all about changing the same place in your system over and over again for different reasons. Mm-hmm. So it's the kind of the super, the God class, if you will, that's everyone goes in and no matter what the new feature is, you got to change this spot and tweak this logic and add a new case statement. <laughs> Oof, oh. Yeah, that's like the the violation of the open closed principle in solid, right? Where you're like, you have to it's uh, not closed for modification. Exactly. You, you got to go in and you, you get the shotgun out and you, you modify it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like we should have, we should have the show where we go through uh, solid principles sometimes. Some of them are like fiddly bits. Like I, I kind of uh, need, need a refresher on that, but you know, it's interesting how these kind of all tie together and you know, these things that your code is kind of telling you when you're like pulling it apart and trying to put it 
some new features into it. You just, you just have to listen to it and, and know what the right path is to go down to fix it. Yeah. A lot of these, these concepts overlap. I kind of think of it as there's these different people and they're, they're all have different ways they look at these things, but they're all hinting at the same problems like right. single responsibility principle and Kent Beck's for uh, simple rules of design and um, the dry principle and solid and all these things are just kind of layered on top of each other as different ways to slice the same problem. Right. Yeah. 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 Different ways. It's important to have that language though. So you can kind of like point at the nuance of like what is specifically the indication of what what's wacky in this particular case. They're, they're nice tools to have in your toolbox. Yeah, definitely. Steve, how can people contact you? They can reach out to me on Twitter mm-hmm. at ssolo112. That's S-S-O-L-O-112. Awesome. And you have a talk coming up, right? Yeah, I'm speaking at NYCRB about this same concept, uh, the dry principle being misunderstood. And that's on June 11th. At 7.30 p.m.? Uh, 6.30 p.m. 6.30 p.m. So if you're listening to this episode, that means it's today. Oh, my God. Get out there. Yeah, you got to go. Show support. Show some love. Steven Solomon, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.